This is Talking Urology. This Talking Urology Ands Up 2018 conference highlight is proudly brought to you by Ipsen. Andrew Weichart chats to Associate Professor Laurence Elbiget, a medical oncologist from the Gustave Roussy Institute in France and member of the EAU Renal Cell Carcinoma Guidelines Panel, and Monty Pell, a medical oncologist, co-director of the City of Hope's Kidney Cancer Program in California and Honorary Australian. They will be discussing the changing landscape and biomarkers in metastatic renal cell cancer. I'm Andrew Weichart and I'm here with Laurence and Monty talking about their fantastic insights they provided today on kidney cancer. So Laurence, I wanted to start with you. You gave a talk about kidney cancer and where we are with the evidence of current data from clinical trials. Can you talk about the high point, the highlights from the trials? Absolutely. So it's been a decade that we've used VGF inhibition as gold standard in metastatic kidney cancer. We, for two years now, have access to a immune checkpoint, namely nivolumab as single agent in second line. What is happening now is that these agents are moving to first line. And we have data that demonstrates that a combination of two checkpoint inhibitors, nivolumab plus ipilimumab, will be the new standard of care in patients in first line because demonstrating overall survival benefit when compared to sunitinib in the population of patients that have metastatic disease with intermediate or poor risk disease. So that represents roughly 80% of our patient population for which the first line is now changing. So in that trial where, they com- where there was a comparison between IPI and NEVO um, compared to sinitinib, um, what sort of responses were seen in patients treated with a doublet immunotherapy and how does that compare to single agent immunotherapy when it's used in say the second line? So the results we have um, can be measured three, uh, through three, three uh, endpoints. The first one is the response rate. So meaning the percentage of patients that has a tumor shrinkage of more than 30%. And it's 42% of our patients that have partial or complete response. This is very important because it compares well to the 27% of sunidinib. Um, the other endpoint is progression-free survival, meaning the time to disease progression. And here there is an increment of more than three months when compared to sunidinib. And lastly, and most importantly, it's the overall survival benefit, where the median is not reached yet for the combination with a hazard ratio of 0.63, so meaningful difference in overall survival when compared to sunitinib. Your question was comparing with nivolumab single agent second line. I think we should not compare first line and second line, um, but obviously the doublet is potent and more potent than single agent. What about toxicity? That's an issue which we are now realizing with doublet immunotherapy that the toxicity profile is quite different from single agent um, nivolumab or just even a TKI. So how do patients tolerate the doublet? I think this is a very important point. Um, And we have to raise awareness within the community about this point. It's about 46% of our patients that have toxicity, high-grade toxicity, when exposed to the doublet uh, nivolumab plus ipilimumab. It's actually less than sunitinib, but it's more challenging to handle because it can be any kind of autoimmune disease. And these toxicity usually lead to treatment discontinuation. 
In the trial, it was 22% of the patients that had to discontinue because of toxicity, when it's only 12 for sunitinib, for instance. So it means that whoever is using these agents in combination needs to be connected to a great network of specialists on how to handle GI toxicity, uh, lung toxicity, endocrine toxicity, for instance, all these things that we need to be aware of and that can happen with this combination. One question I have uh, that interests me with the combination is, what sort of toxicities would um, prompt you to stop all immunotherapy and what sort of toxicity would prompt you to just drop the IPI from the combination and just continue on single agent? I'm not sure we have evidence-based medicine to answer that point. Uh, it will be a you know, just getting with the experience. Uh, whenever you have a rash, for instance, that is not a toxicity that would lead you to discontinue. However, we can have more acute toxicity, especially neurological toxicity, uh, myasthenia, for instance. Um, there is a, lot, a wide range of toxicity with actually required at least to withhold, discontinue, ask maybe for second opinion based on a specialist, and define if we want to resume treatment with the combination. And in the vast majority of cases in the trial, we had to use steroid as systemic therapy to prevent this autoimmune side effect. Is the toxicity um, profile in the trial, is it worse for the immunotherapy arm as compared to sinitinib? I mean, what proportion of patients had to stop sinitinib in the trial, for instance, because of toxicity? Um, it's in the range of 9 to 12%, uh, so it's less than with um, IO doublet, obviously. But bear in mind that we're still in the learning curve on how to uh, manage those side effects. And within a trial, of course, you, you prefer to discontinue if you consider that it's not safe enough. Maybe when getting into a larger uh, community with more awareness on how to manage those side effects, we may be able to uh, sustain maybe single agent nivolumab because what needs to be understood is that when we discuss doublet, it's actually for infusion of the two compound, then it's maintenance with nivolumab single agent. And so the question is, how many of those four initial cycles we're doing with the doublets, depending on the toxicity? You also discussed some data from the atezolizumab, bevacizumab um, combination VEGF inhibitor plus IO. How does the data compare and what do, we, what, what do you think will sort of pan out with the use of that VEGF plus IO combination? What is important to be understood here is that this is the first randomized phase three of a combination of immune checkpoint plus VGF inhibition in first-line setting. The first to be reported. It was reported a few months ago at ASCO-GU. What is being demonstrated in this study is that, once again, when comparing to sunitinib as one of the standard in first-line, the combination of atezolizumab plus bevacizumab is doing better in terms of progression-free survival, but not, but in a specific uh, population, which is what we call biomarker-driven, so pdl one positive patient, roughly 40% of the patient. That was the target of this trial. However, the trial also provides insight on the overall population, what we call the intention to treat. So this includes also pdl one negative patient. And the trial is still positive in this population in terms of progression-free survival. 
The data for overall survival are not mature yet. There is a very strong signal and it's very likely that in future analyses we'll have the overall survival benefit, but it's not reached yet. And I believe that for us in the community, uh, it means that this combination is not ready yet to be filed for approval and so on. So it's a clear move forward because combining two different class of drug actually help us to cover any subgroup of the disease, good risk patient, intermediate poor, and it works both in PDL1 positive and PDL1 negative. However, the data are not yet mature enough for this combination to be available. Thanks. I might ask Monty a question about the combination of atezolizumab and Bev. You gave a commentary at ASCO GU this year and were weighing the positives um, against the combination of Ipi and Nevo. If the trial reads out positive with overall survival, do you think that toxicity advantage favours the Atez Bev um, that will be taken up enthusiastically? Yeah, I agree with many of the perspectives that Laurent shared uh, around toxicity with Nevo and Ipi. And uh, something that concerns me are these 24% discontinuation rates. Uh, and I think that once the drug hits the community, once this regimen is out there, uh, I think there are a lot of community-based oncologists that are going to be having trouble managing the AE profile of Nevo and Ipi. And that actually makes a combination like Bevatezo far more appealing. So you gave a talk uh, this morning, which is an insight into non-clear cell um, kidney cancer. Can you talk about the data that's out there that supports um, first-line and second-line treatment strategies in that more challenging population? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the main focus was sort of the lack thereof, right? But unfortunately, there's a real paucity of data these days. And to our credit, I think that the investigative community has tried to do some trials juxtaposing VEGF inhibitors and mTOR inhibitors. Uh, but the real challenge that we've faced is that all the trials in non-clear cell that have been reported out to date in a randomized fashion have really focused principally on lumping together multiple uh, subsets of histologies, papillary, chromophobe, a translocation, and, and we know that there are huge biological differences that underlie each one of these. Um, so some of the studies that have reported out more recently, for instance, Laurence's experience with crizotinib and papillary RCC, an experience that Tony Chueri and Laurence and several others reported out with savalitinib, I think that all of these take a much more focused approach that's biologically oriented. That stands to make a much bigger dent in the disease. So traditionally, we've described non-clear cell carcinoma into papillary and chromophobe. It seems that genetic testing is essential perhaps to identify some of those subgroups. So can you talk about the data regarding MET amplifications and uh, mutations that might be seen in papillary cancer that has, um, has driven some of those trials? Well, I think now there's good rationale for getting genomic profiling, right? One of the big challenges that we had previously is you could have a genomic profile for a patient and have very little to do with it. You know, a study that Tony Chueri is leading called the Savoie trial incorporates a randomization between sinitinib and savalitinib, specifically in those met-mutated patients. So now folks out in the community that have access to and can perform genomic profiling can ascertain their met status and really drive themselves towards these studies. There are a lot of advocacy groups that are behind efforts to to promote this. And is the technology there for um, me as a doctor to be able to order genetic tests on circulating DNA without having to um, get a biopsy from one of these sites? You've done some studies looking at the role of circulating 
human DNA. Yeah, using a commercial platform from Garden, we identified that circulating tumor DNA could be isolated from about 80% of patients with advanced disease. These patients had a wide array of var uh, variations in disease burden. Certainly, higher disease burden tends to correlate with yield of CT DNA, but it is feasible. Thank you so much for talking with me today and providing your insights. Look forward to the debate tomorrow on the Carmina trial. Um, should be fantastic. Um, enthusiastically waiting to hear the uh, arguments for and against the approach advocated in that uh, in that trial. Talking urology at ANZAP, proudly supported by Ibsen.